Hello, and welcome to my podcast. Paper Sun, Chinese American Citizen. And this is Episode 7. In the last episode, we learned about the problematic illegal entry into the United States from the Canadian and Mexican land borders, most certainly caused by the Exclusion Act. We ended the episode on the passage of the 1888 Scott Act. When prior governmental measures failed to satisfactorily stop or significantly curtail continued Chinese entry into America, more restrictive action was demanded. The Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 tried to find the correct equilibrium to pacify both the anti-Chinese advocates who wanted immigration bans and removal and the business leaders that needed reliable and cheap labor. Against that backdrop were the escalating accounts of violence, some of it brutal, meted out to Chinese residents in the United States. It became common to argue the only way to stop the violence was to stop all Chinese from entering America. Also, They wanted the Chinese removed. Failing that, to make conditions for the Chinese miserable enough, they hoped would force them to leave. The number of anti-Chinese advocates were growing, growing louder, voted their sentiments in political races, and were gaining the upper hand. One thing became clear. Changes were needed, as matters could not continue much longer. All of this led to the first major changes to the 1882 Exclusion Act. Congress slowly came to the new approach that China would no longer be consulted over changes to United States immigration policy. Seeking China's favor was no longer desired. Diplomacy was not needed or wanted. The Scott Act signaled Congress's new approach and direction. The offered amendment to the 1882 Exclusion Act is known as the Scott Act. In 1888, the Chinese Exclusion Act was expanded to deny the re-entry back into the United States, including those Chinese that had obtained 
a residency certificate. We talked about those residency certificates in a prior episode. Previously, legal residents of the United States were denied reentry into the country unless they could prove they had a wife or child or parent in America. Or if they could prove they were owed money or property. The new law reneged on America's promise to Chinese migrants that they would be allowed to re-enter. Some 20,000 Chinese were instantly, upon the passage of the Scott Act, barred from returning to America. Within hours of the bill's introduction into the United States House of Representatives, it was passed unanimously. The United States Senate took a bit longer. The Scots Act's passage, however, in the Senate was never in doubt. The Senate passed the bill on September 17, 1888 and sent it to the President's desk for final approval. President Grover Cleveland signed the measure into law on October 1, 1888. In his public statement accompanying his approval, he acknowledged America's past policy policy of encouraging Chinese immigration. He then declared that time and circumstance had shown that America's past open-door policy was a mistake. He expressed that Chinese would never assimilate into American culture. He referred to the out-of-control violence against Chinese and that the 1882 Restriction Exclusion Act had not worked. Finally, he admitted that the United States had a sovereign right to control and and control and regulate immigration. The latter view, becoming by then the prevailing legal and political view. Obviously, diplomatic negotiations were no longer preferred. The 1888 Scott Act was another of the markers of turning points in American immigration history and policy. It would also mark a new direction in American and Chinese international relations. There was no doubt that the Scott Act violated the Angel Treaty between China and the United States. At President Cleveland's urging, he suggested that Congress pass indemnity laws. Congress did and gave China just over $275,000 to placate the Chinese verbal protests, which were sure to come after the passage of the Scott Act. The Western United States was elated by the Scott Act. The new act would prevent all laborers, even those returning to the United States, from entering or re-entering the country. The law took effect immediately, and as I've stated, it stranded thousands of Chinese. Not surprisingly, and expectantly, the Chinese minister complained, but to no avail. With the passage of the Scott Act, Congress increased by tenfold 
the annual appropriation to enforce the law. Court challenges to the new act invariably followed. The one of note involved a Chinese laborer slash miner named Che Chan Ping. He had resided in America for 12 years. In 1887, he left America and returned to China. Before he left the United States, he obtained a customs certificate entitling him to return to America. Shortly after the Scott Act went into effect, he returned from China. Although he presented his valid certificate, he was refused re-entry into the United States. He sued. His case eventually landed before the United States Supreme Court. In Che Chan Ping versus the United States, 130 U.S. Reporter, page 581, decided in the year 1889, the Supreme Court denied him relief. The case is often cited as the Chinese exclusion case. The court held that the United States had complete power over national sovereignty and identity. Immigration being incident to that power Congress, therefore, had plenary authority to exclude foreigners. The court referred to the Chinese as, quote, strangers in the land, unquote, and disposed of the old precedent that a treaty had supreme status over a law passed by Congress. A treaty, the court held, is equivalent to a legislative act and can be amended or repealed at any time. Che Chan Ping marked a new era of immigration jurisprudence. The court greatly expanded the power and jurisdiction of Congress over matters of immigration. This era began the Border Patrol and much of the modern functioning immigration regulation bureaucracy we know today. The United States Census recorded a drop in the number of Chinese in the United States from a high of just over 100,000 in 1890. Those numbers would shrink. None of these numbers, of course, account for illegal entry. At the 10-year anniversary of the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1892, Congress passed the Geary Act. It was named for Thomas Geary, a California Democratic United States representative. It was signed into law by President Benjamin Harrison in May of 1892. In its most basic effect, it extended the Chinese Exclusion Act for another 10 years. The act, however, did more than that. It was much more onerous. The Geary Act required all Chinese immigrants to obtain a residency certificate. The act continued the same exemptions as the 1882 Exclusion Act, but 
required the exempt classes to show proof of their exemption. It also provided that those failing to have a residency certificate could be deported or imprisoned. The deportation might be immediate unless the subject could produce a white witness that would state that the subject's failure to have a certificate was for good reason. The residency certificates were the early precursor of green cards. As we learned and would expect, it did not take long for the extension for the extension to be challenged in the courts. In Feng Yue Ting versus the United States, 149 U.S. Reporter, page 698, decided in the year 1893, the United States Supreme Court upheld the Geary Act. Congress's power over immigration was nearly unlimited. Three of the justices in the dissenting opinion agreed that Congress had plenary powers, but persons residing in America had a due process right to challenge deportation. The Fong Yue Ting decision was a pivotal case and opinion. It approved the expanded registration system for all Chinese, approving deportation of violators, approving criminal penalties for violators. In November of 1893, the Geary Act was further amended. The McGreary Amendment was offered to extend the registration period for Chinese living in America for an additional six months. And the Act also broadened the definition of laborers. Chinese merchants had to obtain two non-Chinese witnesses to vouch for the merchant's claimed business activities. After the Geary Act and the Feng Yu Ting opinion, the federal government had a mess. It was reported over 80,000 Chinese were liable to deportation. The cost of the government for the deportations would have been enormous. A staggering expense the federal government was not willing to push. Federal manpower for such was also lacking. By the way, no other immigrants were required to possess at that time residency certificates. That would not be until 1928. All Chinese residents were required to obtain and possess these certificates. Not surprisingly, Chinese diplomats diplomats complained and anti-American sentiment grew in China. The number of Chinese stranded outside the United States also continued to grow. That and the continuing protests over the Scott Act had reached a level that could not be ignored or left unaddressed. Signed in December of 1894, America and the Qing Chinese government agreed to a new treaty. The Grisham-Yang Treaty, 
also known as the Sino-American Treaty of 1894, can be viewed as another humiliating treaty for China. While the treaty essentially tore up the Scott Act of 1888 and repealed it, the treaty memorialized the exclusion acts and the registration laws that had become law since 1882. The treaty excluded all Chinese workers for entering from entering the United States for 10 years. Exempt from the exclusion were Chinese officials, students, and merchants. Returning merchants would be readmitted, however, if the immigrant had family in America or had property or debts owed to them for at least in the amount of $1,000. In 1904, the Chinese government refused to renew the treaty. I'll get into that in a later episode. After China's refusal to renew the treaty in 1904, United States Congress extended Chinese exclusion indefinitely. A couple of legal holdings were published about the same time in Lem Moon Singh versus the United States, 158 U.S. Reporter, page 538, decided in 1895, the United States Supreme Court further clarified Congress's power over immigration, over immigration matters. That decision did not set new precedents other than affirming Congress's power to deny habeas corpus to aggrieved immigrants. The ruling legitimized Congress's ability to designate federal immigration officers to make final binding decisions over Chinese immigrants seeking entry into America. In May of the following year, 1896, another more consequential decision was entered by the United States Supreme Court. Wong Wing versus United States, 163 U.S. Reporter, page 228, decided in 1896, offered that Congress could not impose criminal penalties on non-Chinese without due process and the right to a jury trial. Deportation, however, was okay. I will end this discussion and leave it here for now. So much more of this story still has not been told. Thank you for listening.